This episode, we meet Greg Lewis, a retired Air Force colonel who grew up an Air Force brat, attended a prep school at the Air Force Academy, was on the National Championship Parachuting Team. Upon graduation, Greg flew A-10s for a while and had one silk landing in those. It then migrated to uh, F-16s, where he ended up with another silk landing, but also saw combat action. Greg, after his Air Force career, became a Southwest Airlines pilot for many years. He's a great classmate, a wonderful pilot, and an outstanding American. Hey, Greg. Hey, got you loud and clear. All right, cool. Thanks for doing this. It's my honor. Well, I... Uh... I, I appreciate your your story is going to be pretty cool. I think for the folks that don't know Greg Lewis, because I know enough to know that this is going to be a, a really cool episode. Um, to get it to get it kicked off, I always like to ask, what is your uh, what's your overall message to the uh, the incoming class, the current cadets, the recent grads, and the guys in our our age group? I could probably talk an hour on that, but to to be somewhat short. I would just say for better or worse, everything I am is probably 99% because of the Air Force Academy. And as I look back, and it some some ways it's a lifetime ago, other ways it's like yesterday, but I have never regretted the fact that uh, I got into the Air Force Academy and somehow managed to graduate, and some of that was in doubt along the way. But uh, I, you know, I've had a wonderful life because of it all. And, uh, you know, and I think the further you get from graduation, the more special it is. It was probably 10 years before I actually got back to the academy after we uh, graduated. And, uh, I, you know, I couldn't wait to put the place in the rearview mirror when we finally did graduate. But uh, now I just look forward to getting back every chance we have. And I know that uh, times change, and we had people uh, the whole time we were cadets tell us how, how much tougher they had it, and and you know things are different now. But the academy, no matter when you go, is a tough place, and uh, you know you you hear from your your high school friends about everything they're doing in college, and and uh, you know at the time I was busting my butt trying not to flunk out of the place. And, uh, you know, you question it at times, like, what am I doing? I could be doing something else and having a hell of a lot more fun. But uh, the truth is, we had a blast going through there as much as you could anyway. And, again, I just never regretted it. It's uh, it's it's uh, responsible for my life. So so that kind of gets me to an interesting question. How did – how – early did you think that you wanted to go there as opposed to other schools? You know, I was always wanted to be a veterinarian, uh, going, going through high school and stuff. And my, uh, my mother was, uh, from Salt Lake city. And when my dad was in the air force and we were stationed at Altus, Oklahoma, we used to drive to see my mother's family and we'd drive right by the Academy. And we're talking to you know, the mid to late sixties and, I always thought, what a cool place, but we never stopped. And, uh, <laughs> so it was uh, one day, it was about my sophomore year in high school, uh, my dad had a bunch of his World War II buddies that were all in town for something. And I just had never really seen that side of him before, but it was, they were having a heck of a blowout, <laughs> you know, talking about old times. And I just went, man, 
the camaraderie of that and the brotherhood. I said, I want to be part of that. And, uh, and so he said, you know, if you're really going to do this, I've got some friends and I think in my junior year, we, uh, uh, one, one of the buddies that was his buddies had a son that was there. And so I went and hung with him for a day and, and, uh, you know, so I sort of knew what I was getting into, but, uh, yeah, I just, I decided I really wanted to do it. And then I applied out of high school and got turned down. And Oof. maybe that was the best thing that ever happened to me because, you know, I, I, I wasn't like the biggest man on campus, but I'd been fairly successful up to that point. And it's like, what, you know, you're telling me I'm not good enough to go there. And, uh, and at the last possible second, I got into the prep school and, uh, I think I was, I was, uh, was going to a civilian prep school. I decided to do that. And then air force, uh, called and, and went there. But, uh, so in, in, you know, in some ways it was, uh, that almost I think was a little reality check that that life is tough and sometimes you fail and you got to pick yourself up and press on from there. Well, that's cool. So you said you grew up an Air Force kid, uh, and I, I did as well. I'm curious, what where did you live, and what were some of your favorite places? In my, uh, it's funny my. My father was stationed uh, eight years at Altus, Oklahoma, and uh, we so mostly in Oklahoma, and then and then he really started moving around. So from there, uh, we went to Grand Forks, North Dakota. Dad used to always say the Russians had Siberia, so we had to have North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he went to. Uh, the Vietnam War, and we went to Fort Worth, Texas, and then San Bernardino, Norton Air Force Base, and then Scott. And kind of the neat thing was uh, I was, so I did my junior, senior year of high school at, at Mascuda, Illinois, outside Scott Air Force Base. And when I didn't get, I was class of 71 in high school, and when I didn't get in, there were five guys from class of 72 that I all knew. Uh, including Jack Catton, that's one of our oh. well-known grads. But uh, so six of us from Mascuda High School were class of '76 at the academy. And the last I heard, Mike Gould was soup. He said that was still a record. And all six of us graduated, and uh, most of us went on to have a you know a full career. That's pretty cool. And that, those were all Air Force kids, pretty much. Yeah, all, all Air Force brats and. Uh, Ended up uh, Gary Kyle, George Clemens, uh, Jack Catton, Mark Starr, myself, and who am I forgetting? Uh, one more. <laughs> All right. Um, so the prep school was uh, got you got you kind of in the mindset. What? How different? You know, what was that like? That indoctrination there, and then compared that to like Dooley Summer. Uh. You know, we they don't do this now, and it's uh, and I understand why. But we had to actually go to basic training at Lackland, and uh, and that was somewhat of a shock. Um, BCT is physically tougher, but you know it was uh, you get homesickness and all that. So so you you have to fight through that. But we uh, uh, once you once you got to the prep school. I mean, it was definitely a military school, but 
as they said, it was not their intent to make you have two fourth class years. So it, uh, it, I mean, it was a great program. It, it, yeah. it, uh, and what I kind of always remember is it, it literally had you prepped and it sure made the first year a lot easier at the Academy, but then it kind of ran out about the third semester and it was like, Ooh, <laughs> I got to start studying a little bit. And, uh, you know, so, well, I went from one Dean's list to the other Dean's list. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I like the fact the Dean has two lists and so we know them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about, so you make it through Dooley year and that seems to be fairly simple. And then you go to Siri and all that. How did you end up uh, as, as the world famous parachute guy? So, that's funny, but uh, it was actually Mark Starr. But uh, when we were duallys, we were in, both in Force Squadron, and uh, I, I don't know, I hated drill more than anything in the world. <laughs> uh, and I just go, what a stupid waste of time. And I'm sure the commandant would tell me different, you know, then <laughs> and now. But uh, so I said, there's got to be something, you know, if if, if you're were in athletics you didn't have to drill and, and right. like, okay. I maybe thought I could play football but that lasted about two seconds <laughs> and I, I you know it I never was a great athlete but uh, once you get to to the academy you, you realize how great our classmates were you know so, <laughs> anyway Mark Starr said hey we could try out for the parachute team and I went you are out of your freaking mind. <laughs> and, and he goes, it gets you out of drill. And I went, Oh really? <laughs> you know? so, so that was kind of the motivation. And, uh, I, you know, almost flunked out of the place because of it, but I will tell you this in, in my sorted past, um, it, it was of course jumping at the Academy was fun, but I was a two time winner or two time loser, dependent on your point of view. But I ended up punching out two airplanes at, in my Air Force career, wow. separated by by fourteen. Both times, had I not had parachute training at the academy, and just hung there under the parachute, I would have burned up in the fireball. And oh, I was wow. like, okay, I got I got to do something and maneuver the chute, and I knew how to do that, you know. So it uh, I it saved my life twice. I really do believe that. So okay, you, you're jumping ahead in the schedule, but that's okay. Everybody wants to hear this. I, I remember a famous story about your first ejection, A-10 off the coast of Langley, off the Virginia coast. Do you want to, can you, can you tell us the story? Because you got in trouble with the fishermen, as I recall. Well, it was, I was a lucky first guy. It was a design deficiency and the airplane ended up on fire with hydraulics out and an engine out. And it was a big snowball thing. And, uh, so I was trying to land at a Cherry Point Marine base. And uh, I said, this thing is going south so bad, I don't want to crash in the middle of the city. And so I just turned away and it was kind of controlled, punched out. And uh, so I come down on the Noose River and major character flaw on my part. But uh, I, I I love a good martini, but I don't drink beer. Never been a beer drinker. And uh, so... Mr. Kennedy and his son are fishing and they see the whole thing. And I plop down in the middle of the Noose River and uh, he comes up in his big bass boat and uh, 
said, would you like to get in the boat? And I went, yeah, actually I would. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they pull all my stuff. I got a raft and a chute and a survival kit and all that. And they fish all that out and it's in the boat. And he said, would you like a beer? And I went, yeah, you know what? I think I'll have one actually. (laughs) Sure. Just invited to play. And, uh, so I said, you know, I need to get on a phone somewhere. So they take me to Bubba's house that is on the, uh, and it, his wife was there and I'm soaking wet and mud all over me. But I, uh, I get in the phone and call the base collect. They won't take a collect call. Uh, <laughs> I, I finally convinced them that they really need to put me through the command post. And, uh, and the wing commander was later four-star general PC Carnes, but great guy. And uh, he just, uh, but somewhere in that drill, that the fisherman says, hey, what do I do with all this stuff? I said, I, I don't know, keep it. And, uh, well, meanwhile, Coleman Hampton that was flying the other A-10, he's circling above and sees me go in this house and the Marines launched the fleet and this CH-46 shows up and it's hovering in the backyard and uh, <laughs> cl- cleans out the, you know, all his leaves that have never been raked. And, uh, but they hoist me up and, and I end up at Cherry Point. But so about a week later, Colonel Tony Crusher Cousenberry used to play football for the Green Bay Packers with All-American at uh, Georgia. Really neat guy, F-105 guy from Vietnam. But he uh, was an accident board president. Somewhere he goes, hey, what happened to all your survival stuff? And I went, oh, I told the fisherman to keep it, <laughs> you know, which I didn't really mean forever. But then I got hoisted up into the helicopter. And that was a, so they sent the sheriff and went and recovered it all, I think. But, uh, so then I, at the hospital, the first thing they do said, okay, we got to do a blood test. And I went, oh, I've had a beer or two. <laughs> you know, so, but Crusher, I thought that was hilarious. He, uh, but uh, so that the funny thing that I'll never forget was uh, when it was all over, Crusher, uh, you know, again, this guy's like the towering guy compared to me. And uh, he says, hey, uh, if you take the whole population of Air Force pilots that ever put out of an airplane, it's very small. He said, but you take the population that have done it twice, it's surprisingly large. So watch your ass. I went, oh, it's skewed by people like me, like Crusher, because he was shot down twice in the 105 and rescued both times. And uh, But he said, you know, watch yourself. So 14 years later in an F-16, it was its classic engine failure. And the uh, you know, I'm saying, damn, Crusher was right. <laughs> I cannot believe this is happening again. But, uh, yeah. Was the second one just as memorable or was it uh, pretty straightforward? Well, it was memorable because it Saddam invaded uh, uh, Iraq right. on the 2nd of August, 1990. Yeah. And I was, our squadron was tagged to deploy. We had a young guy, lieutenant, that was having a lot of trouble air refueling. And uh, the commander says, take him in the two-seater and make sure we can refuel. So we went out and uh, air refueled, and all that went great. And then the motor quit. We were trying to land at Charleston. It started coughing over the ocean, and the weather was real bad, so we couldn't do the flame-out thing. But anyway, so we punched out, and then the squadron deployed on the 7th, but I had to hang around and go through an accident board real quick. And uh, so I found myself en route to the desert a couple of weeks later, but uh, it, yeah. So I, I got a little, nothing bad, but I 
went crashing through a bunch of trees. And the funny thing was, is it was my personal pet peeve, but I had a spare parachute harness and all the years that you had this tree lowering device that is heavy and uncomfortable, but it's a tape that is about a couple hundred feet long and kind of a pulley thing that you can, you can hook up and let yourself yeah. down if you're stuck in a tree. Like you're repel- so, a little repel. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm stuck 50, 60 feet up in all these trees and I don't have a tree lowering device. You know? uh-huh. So uh-huh. I gingerly climbed down the tree and all that worked good, but <laughs> it's like the one time you need it. And, uh, but no, it was, uh, they wrote that one off the contaminated fuel from the tanker. Oh, wow. And, uh, by the time they figured it out, the tanker had already gone to the desert and passed a million gallons of gas. So it, uh, (laughs) you you just got the bad batch that day. Yeah. But I, I always tell people I, I did fly a Boeing 737 for 18 years and an AT-38, I didn't crash either of those, so I batted fifty percent over a lifetime. <laughs> That's great. So, oh my goodness, we're I'm I'm going sideways a little bit. I wanted to a little bit circle back to your academy days and with your having two airplanes with mechanical failures. That reminds me of a a famous Jaguar incident you had with your first <laughs> car. Yeah, I blew a fuel line. I hadn't thought about that. But, uh, <laughs> so know, that was kind it, of a premonition for coming attractions, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, now, what was the story on that one? Uh, a 20 cent part that if Jaguar sells it to you is $20 even back then, but a little T line between the carburetors cracked and blew and pissed gas all over the place. And I stopped and in and where were of, you? Where were you when you stopped? <laughs> in uh, the upper uh, eastern Colorado, which is really Nebraska, you know. But yeah, it, yeah. In the high flat middle of nowhere, without a mountain in sight, just wheat fields, and uh, and the Hell's Angels came by and rescued me. <laughs> they were actually very nice guys. <laughs> and so you you spent some time with Hell's Angels as a yeah. kid at the Air Force Academy. That that's exactly. That's one of my that's one of my favorite stories because you were my <laughs> summer roommate then. So okay, so we we've we've gotten so derailed, but I do want to circle back to one thing and that is uh, your exposure to this thing called the Pink Panthers. You know, it's really special and we things are different now i believe but we all went through our dually year and then which i still think is the best way to do it and then we spent three years with a new squadron and uh so 28 of us i believe it was 29 got dropped into the pink panthers we had one quitter that lasted about 10 minutes you know yeah he was he was gone by october i think for that second year yeah and uh but so, I mean, it was kind of random and happenstance, and, and but we just had the greatest group of guys that we all bonded and all from different walks of life, and it was really kind of cool. But it was just a special group. But I'll never forget the AOC. I mean, we had some smart guys. Tom Young was, was almost a 4.0, Steve Fry. But I think at one point we had, 17 18 pinks <laughs> on academic probation and you know the aoc, the AOC call, calls us in and goes uh you know almost like apologetic you know but guys i'm really sorry but 
I'm, you know, I'm taking a lot of heat. You guys need to study a little more, you know. <laughs> but it was like, oh, well, we're trying, but nobody's quitting, boss. You know, and uh, and we, we lost, you know, one guy at Christmas our senior year. That God love him, but you know, we all made it, and to the point that the rest of the squadron, some of them were decimated. That they pulled four guys out of our squadron to put them elsewhere, and of course that went over. Not so, not so good, you know. Well, and and three of the four guys they pulled were smart guys. I was like, yeah. what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but no, it was just a, a special bunch, and and I always, our wives always laugh because we'll go decades without seeing each other sometimes, and then we're immediately bond again. And I, uh, I, I just very proud to be part of that. Yeah, it, it definitely flushes up some antics and things and i and i want to reiterate to the crowd that the uh the antics were not in mean spirit it was all in good fun oh yeah it's really a a pressure relief that i think we applied to the rest of our our careers uh you know we as greg has said he's been in two aircraft incidents where he had to leave the airplane to the (laughs) and and trust his uh, equipment was going to work and that that situational awareness and then had sense of humor to have a beer (laughs) (laughs) well and and i i think the only advice i would i would give anybody is is you know when you have the dark ages at the academy and now you're dealing with covid and future classes will have some issue you know but it, it again it's tough going there but we all we really were a band of brothers and 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 uh i uh i i think within all the bounds of, of, uh, not getting in too much trouble, you, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you, you, you got to blow some steam off and, you know, take advantage of what's out there. And for me, I was lucky. You know, I could, I could go down to the airfield and jump out of airplanes, but I, uh, you know, there, we, we were famous for mooning people. And, well, be, okay, be, we probably but, shouldn't but, go much further than that. But uh, well, yeah. I, I, we're going to get into one of those stories real quick. But I wanted to, uh, to ask you real quickly. So you were on the academy parachute team. What was your, what was your uh, deal? What what was your, uh, what do they call it? I I know their skills and and different routines. What was your uh, role? Oh, I, I did. I was just nothing special. Uh, what I really enjoyed was. Uh, you know, that it really was kind of a leadership thing, but you taught 490. So I just really enjoyed, especially when it was our classmates, you know, helping them jump out of an airplane and, and jumping out behind them and chasing them down. <laughs> but we went to, uh, I went to several nice competitions, one in Canada that was very memorable, but I, uh, so got to travel some really, it was always good to get out of the academy, you know. I, I recall I, maybe it was a different guy, but I thought you were like an accuracy guy. Yeah, we did, I did that. Yeah, and uh, so explain to folks what that what that's all about. You had a you, you have a pit with pea gravel in it, and there's a ten centimeter disc in the middle, and so the object was just to jump out of the plane and and get as close to that disc as you could, and the the foil parachutes were somewhat new and uh we did it mostly on round parachutes and uh so 
yeah, it, it, there were sometimes you were pretty good, and sometimes you were a county away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that took a lot of uh, airmanship, I would assume, to figure out the wind and the vector. the wind and 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 maneuvering, and you know, there'd be different uh, different layers of wind and whatnot. But but uh, no, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I probably and- beat still beat up over it but that's okay <laughs> now did, did that uh do you think that helped you later on when you were in pilot training well i i think the whole academy experience you know it, it training command tries to make pilot training you know some sort of military experience that is I mean, it's not like fourth class year or anything, but yeah, you know, it's it's not the real Air Force, if you will, and uh, so you know, you get there and you go, oh, I know how to play this game, <laughs> you know, that's no problem, sort, you know? sort of like a Fort Benning or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you could do your best, but you're good luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. This, I'm really not going to get too. Uh, I, I, you know, some funny pilot training stories, but. I remember I was in T-37s and I was just having a bad day and the guy I was flying with was kind of an ass. And the, so he starts pounding on the glare shield and <laughs> the, the whole thing breaks and comes off on our laps. You know, like, <laughs> oh, now what you're going to do? <laughs> you, <Yeah. know? laughs> you want me to fly the plane while you pick up the pieces? You know, but, uh, so, but, uh, so um, I understand that you had some travels with a, with Trot. I'm sorry. Lauren Trottier said you guys used to travel quite a bit. Uh, at the academy, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Trot and I, we did. Uh, we, oh, I know what he's talking about. Of course. <laughs> yeah, my my dad had a great friend from uh, World War II, basically. That was this diehard bachelor. And I had this really cool place in uh, Hawaii and uh, overlooked Pearl Harbor up on the side of the mountain, Pacific Heights. And so we went there twice on spring break and just had a blast. <laughs> so, and it was funny, you know, spring break on a hundred bucks, but we would, would hop out there out of a, uh, on a Mac flight, get there. And then we figured out where all the happy hours were that, that had finger food, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> you buy one drink and eat. And, uh, but, yeah, it was. We did Hawaii. <laughs> it was fun. So, so your dad had a lot of friends, and I know that there was a very memorable afternoon when you were supposed to be heading to the room, and your dad and some of his friends met your roommate in a very awkward situation. <laughs> yeah, do you want to? Do you want Because I've we've heard the other guy's story. I'd like to hear your version of it. Well. It, you can name names. <laughs> so old Jimmy Doe is hilarious, but so I, I was allegedly at the library studying. <laughs> was probably sleeping. I don't know, but I was coming back late at night, and my my father, who was actually a two star general, was at the academy on business, and he just come in and out every now and then. Sometimes I'd see him, sometimes I wouldn't, but uh, he. Uh, I guess he sw- he swung by the room and Jimmy was all ready to to moon me, but 
dad opened the door and was met by Jimmy's best side. <laughs> but but what's hilarious, uh, yeah, and he's, uh, I mean, almost to the day he died, he, he would go, that was almost as exciting as when I got mooned at the academy, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so, but he always had a, he had a great sense of humor. So, I mean, he, I think he, he laughed about that forever, but, uh, but I'm sitting in this office in my house and there's a portrait of dad and in uniform and, uh, someone painted and I inherited it. But, uh, Jimmy was here and he said, I think that's your dad, but let me bend over and look. Yep. That's him. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Uh, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy brags about your dad buying or selling him a car and he still has that car. Yeah, he does. It, it, uh, it was hilarious because I wanted a Corvette and dad found me this, my XKE. That was a great car. I wish I still had it. That's what I see what they saw for on eBay. But, uh, and then two weeks later, he stumbles into this vet and, and, uh, ended up buying it for Jimmy and, and uh, he bought it he wanted to keep it you know he called jimmy said, okay I, I got a corvette and i think you're really gonna like it and jimmy said oh my god it sounds awesome yes do it and he goes damn it i already did it's in the driveway he goes, he didn't <laughs> want it you know but <laughs> so but uh yeah he was quite the car dealer <laughs> that's great that's great oh uh, that's great that they that there was any real serious repercussions for jimmy's uh, <laughs> uh early uh astral projection <laughs> Well, the funny thing was uh, a few years earlier when I was at the prep school, dad was at the academy, the same drill, and he snuck in one night. So we had, uh, we kind of had this, uh, down there, there were no janitors. We had to do all that. So everybody had their little detail. And uh, our classmate, Ed Aegis, was in charge of floors. So he was, you know, sink buffer. So we had this treaty that everybody would take their shoes off and walk in socks because he didn't want to scuff up the floor. Oh, no, yeah. And uh, so I guess dad sneaks into the place and Eddie just sees this blue uniform go by out of the corner of his eye <laughs> and says, who the F is walking on my floor and flies out to take off here then meets my dad and then so I said, well, what did you do, Dad? He goes, I took off my effing shoes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he got used and abused every time he came to see me, but he always uh, laughed about it. So that's, that's glad he had a great uh, attitude about it. Um, so you make it the graduation, you throw a hat in the air, and where was your, uh, where was your pilot training assignment? Del Rio, Texas. And what was really special about that is we were the first class that got told that uh, – some of you guys are going to have to wait up to a year to go to pilot training. Ooh. And it was like, I didn't, you know, after five years there, those of us on the, on the slow <laughs> plan, yeah. I was so ready to get on with it all. And, uh, so the, uh, and it was the first time they'd used the computer. We filled out dream sheets. It wasn't on class merit, but anyway, there were seven of us, I think pinks that all wanted to go together. So we decided that no one wanted to go to Del Rio. So we'd asked for Del Rio. <laughs> there was a class that started basically three and a half weeks after graduation. So oh. we gave up a big chunk of a graduation leave. And 
shockingly, we all got Del Rio three and a half weeks after graduation. But, but you know, it, it was another year of the Pinks together, and we just had a blast in pilot training. You know, so. Oh, I forgot to ask before we get too far into Air Force active duty career. Did you do third lieutenant? And I what did. were your other other summer programs you did? Uh, Syria Airborne, of course, and third lieutenant and C-5s out of Dover, went around the world. That was really cool. Uh, and then taught parachuting and the rifle range. Cool. Yeah. Oh, so you, you got C-5s out of Dover. What uh, I had that as well. My That was my last uh, third, That my last break right before first year was the C-5 thing. That was pretty cool. Oh, I, I've forgotten that. If I if I I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. I I, I think I spent maybe three days at Dover. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I, I this is not about me, but my one, I did two memorable things on that trip. Uh, that that deal. The first one was a. It was about three days before I got an air, airplane, so I had to sign up for something else, and I stupidly signed up for the hospital thinking I could meet some nurses <laughs> yeah. and they took me into operating rooms and I kept passing out. I passed out twice and they, they just thought I was the funniest thing going. No nurses wanted to hang out with me. And then uh, the, other, the other cool thing was I got the, the C5, I, I, the guy we got paired up with, his dad was a, a Boeing uh, instructor in Tehran. So we flew to Tehran for the weekend to get our laundry done by his mom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, those were memorable trips. But uh, well, not many of us can say we stepped foot in a run. That's memorable. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, this is back. It was it was going yeah. south at the time, and and I thought, no, oh, they 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 aren't as friendly as we think they are. <laughs> now it's obviously not friendly at all. So, you enjoyed third lieutenant, I, I imagine. I did. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a great program, and uh, and and really, I did it at the end of my junior year, and it's like, okay, this is a good little battery recharger if you will it's like okay there is a real air force i almost <laughs> kind of forget that at times you know? yeah i i recommend the crowd you guys definitely take advantage of that that third lieutenant anytime you can get away from the academy and get some fresh air it it can be a stifling place if it, if you let it get yeah to- and you know when you show up as a cadet you're kind of special you know everybody everybody really wants to make sure you're taken care of and and uh you know, a couple of years later, when you show up as lieutenant, nobody gives a damn. You know? <laughs> not, not really not true, but yeah. yeah. So, and don't be a ring knocker. Oh my goodness, that'll get you in trouble, everybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Del Rio to what? Uh, so you know about a two-year pipeline, but my first assignment, and it was all downhill for the next twenty-four years. Oh come was on, Myrtle Beach Air Force Base, <laughs> and. Uh, so it didn't get much better, but at Myrtle Beach, and then I uh, went from there to the United Kingdom flying A-10s, and then I had a year internship kind of thing at the Pentagon, and the kind of cool thing about that, I was working in personnel, and uh, the general that runs it, he finally pulls me aside and says, hey, Greg, what do you want to do when you leave here? I went, Sir, I thought you were never going to ask. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to fly that new F-16. And he goes, oh, that's going to be hard. And I went, yes, sir, but you're the personnel guy. <laughs> you know? yeah. We could. And uh, so the next question was, will you go to Korea to do it? 
I said, I'd really rather go to Hill and ski every weekend and all that kind of stuff. But I was single back then. And I went, sure, I, if that's what it takes, I'll go to Korea. Why not? And uh, and that's what ended up happening. But after committing to that is when I met my wife. Uh-oh. And uh, we had, you know, a wonderful, fast romance. And it was like, oh, I got this thing hanging over my head. I got to leave for a year. <laughs> And uh, we managed to get through that and got so married. You, you, on a, you, you couldn't take her with you to. You were in no, Cuba. I was remote. Although it, I came home on my mid tour, and we were actually married, and uh, and then I we smuggled her back on a tourist visa. Yeah, and uh, so she came over and camped out for a couple months, and I had some TUIs in Seoul, so you weren't supposed to have anybody there. It was almost like being back at the Pinks again, but yeah. You have dorms and kind of hit her here and there, you know. <laughs> the, the, hiding, hiding the girl in the BLQ. So, wh- which base were you stationed at? Kunsan. Yeah. Kunsan. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up and uh, came back from there to the naval. Well, I went from there to Seoul, and uh, ended up working for an army general for a year, hmm. and then from there to the naval war college in Rhode Island. Uh, in Rhode Island for a year. And then I went to Shaw for four years. And uh, from Shaw to the worst assignment, as I look back on it, but uh, it just wasn't a fun time. But uh, two years at the Personnel Center in uh, San Antonio. And that was during the drawdown and a lot of ugly stuff going on. But uh, but then from there to uh, Maxwell to school again, and then Columbus, uh, flying AT-38s, and then uh, I went to Bahrain for two years. I always joked that I finally found my niche in life selling guns to Arabs, but that's pretty much what I was doing Wow! on behalf of the U.S. government. And then uh, from there, uh, back to Kunsan, and I retired. So that was 24 years, and then I had an 18-year career at Southwest Airlines and retired from that uh, three years ago. So quick question is, uh, you, and I think you're the only pink, I have to keep asking, but you might be the only pink I know that ever got actual combat time. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but but I did. I flew in Desert Storm as an F-16 pilot. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, we got, uh, we lost uh, uh, one guy that was sadly killed in a landing accident. Mm. Uh, And we had one guy shot down that uh, Spike Thomas, famous football player that was uh, at Academy, that was uh, rescued. And another guy that was a Han guy that they had a squadron come join us. And uh, he was shot down and uh, was a POW, but came out. And, and he had quite the stories, Air Force Cross winner, but uh, sadly died of a brain tumor uh, oh, two years wow. ago. So you, uh, were you, what was your rank and what was your status in a squadron at that time? I was lieutenant colonel, and I was the chief of wing weapons for, for the wing. And... Uh, in my A-10 days, I went to the fighter weapons school. And uh, so most of my flying career, when I wasn't flying airplanes, it was weapons and tactics related. 
and then so so it would work out that I would fly for for uh, three or four days and then run the command post and mission planning and all that sort of stuff for three or four days and uh, so did your uh, did your academy experience at all prepare you mentally for the challenge of getting shot at uh yes because i think you know you're you uh it, it we all learned how to function under pressure and that pressure could come from you know different people had different pressure at the academy me it was the dean you know yeah yeah and uh sometimes the calm you know but uh but it uh i i, I think I really do believe looking back on it, that's part of the process and it's an important part to, of how to learn how to function. And, and uh, in the flying business and, ex and especially fighters, you have to make life altering uh, decisions and, you know, in, in milliseconds sometimes, you know, Oh so, yeah. I, I uh, so I think that's, you know, that was all part of it. And, and I, and I, I should tell you our classmate, Roger Yahtzee is a, you know, like a brother to me, but we were classmates at the Academy. We had a couple assignments together. We did desert storm together and, and uh, you know, the, several other Academy grads there, uh, and probably half of us, you know, but uh, it, it, it was kind of special to go through the war with him. Yeah. Oh no, it's it. That combat's a, another deal. I, I the only I never experienced that, but I know that the, the folks that did have uh, have f firm appreciation for all the crap they ate in training because it really helps you get through some of the tough times. I think I think one of the you have a lot of peacetime rules and they're good rules and they're for a reason, and you you try and live by them. But uh, you know, the whole time I was over there was probably getting two, three hours of sleep a night, maybe, you know, and so when it was all over. I think that's probably about as physically tired as I've ever been, you know. And it was Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Sounds like life on a ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't know. I was wanted to do that. That was one of my biggest disappointments. I tried to get a Navy exchange tour. And uh at the time I wasn't married and the the uh our head assignments detailer guy, you know, he says he said, well, we can't send you on an exchange tour because we send the whole Air Force family on exchange and you don't have a family. I said, I'm going to sea for two years. What do I need? To... <laughs> it would be really I, said, I have to get a Navy divorce for the full experience. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, and then uh, Dave Clary got it and he had a great assignment. And, uh, you know, so I've always been jealous of him. But uh... Yeah, he, he told me some stories about how how he got indoctrinated there that was very i was very impressed it's pretty cool yeah. so what uh you say you retired at 24 years um and then you went to the civilian world what how was that transition was that positive or was that uh, a challenge what was the deal there you know i i never had a desire to be an airline pilot and it used to be at the you know at the when we were young bucks that if you were much over about 28 they wouldn't talk with you uh, and uh, so i made a very conscious decision that i like what i'm doing and and uh, the air force always dangles a carrot in front of you and i'd always dive on it but 
well, you can fly an F-16. That's going to cost you three more years in the Air Force. You can do this, you know, whatever, whatever. So before you know it, you've made a whole career out of it. But I, yeah. again, never regretted it. But I, you know, I, I decided to stay. And so when it got to where I knew I was sort of at the end of it all and the airlines were hiring older guys, which was kind of a change, I said, you know, for a second career, I wouldn't mind it, I don't think. And uh, so it was, you know, I, I loved my time at Southwest. It was a great company. Uh, my wife, by the way, everyone thinks I dumped my wife and married a hot flight attendant. But <laughs> after our kids went off to college, she said it was always something she wanted to do. So she got hired as a flight attendant. And we used to fly together a lot. And wow. it was a lot of fun. But I, I always say that, you know, everybody's wired different. And what makes one person happy may not the other. But if all you had ever done my opinion is is fly an airline your whole life i think you would die very unfulfilled so i really enjoyed my time at southwest but i'm eternally thankful for my military career i, I think it was more challenging i enjoyed the people uh yeah i'm a great people at southwest too but it uh you could always tell when you were flying with another military person versus someone that came up to the civilian world because they and, and i don't mean this negatively i just factually but they when you come up as a civilian your focus in life is you know where you get where you get hired am i senior to him and yeah. kind of single ship the whole time and uh, we in the in the military were were uh, you know one for all and all for one you, you go through a group and the group gets whittled down but it's all about taking care of your buddies and you, you don't see that as much in the civilian side so i Always, you know, Southwest for a long time was kind of a military flying club. I'd say in my time when I started anyway, about probably 70 percent were were former military aviators. And now it's, of course, we're cranking out so few pilots nowadays that it's uh, it's kind of reversed now. It's mostly civilian kids. But yeah, no, that, uh, that's a that's a good point. And I know the uh, <laughs> the intent of this whole thing is to get folks that are at the academy to see whether they want to stick it out or, or go go through it and what life can be like afterwards and it's i think it's been pretty good for you right greg life has been very good i'm very blessed and uh, a beautiful wife and two great kids and uh, i again i attribute all that to to in my case five years in colorado <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's cool well, I, uh, I do. I, I will tell you one story. Yeah. Just, I, I, I laugh at this, but I, uh, major Steve Polk was class of 69, I believe was my academic advisor. And, uh, so I ended up why to this day, I don't know, but I was a mechanical engineering major and I don't think I'm a natural at anything to do with engineering but so i struggled the whole way through it but the hardest class in the major was vibrational analysis mech for something or another 456 i think and uh, so he goes you have to take that the last semester because you need the most academic maturity so <laughs> so uh, and that was probably true except the sigma factors kicking in by then and <laughs> and i really was struggling and uh so the beautiful thing about the academy, these instructors are spoon feeding me, doing their damnedest to get me through this. And uh, 
so when all the dust settles after the final a week before graduation there's 75 people in this class and old lewis is 73 out of 75 and i thought damn i may have flunked this thing and i'll end up you know not graduating and i got a pilot training slot it's going to be a mess so then he's now dead but then captain tornow calls me into his office and goes lewis you're going to pilot training right (laughs) i went if you pass me sir (laughs) (laughs) he said would you look me in the eyes and promise under no circumstances will you ever attempt to build a bridge (laughs) i went Yes, sir. I will call you if that ever happens. You know? <laughs> so, so then, almost twenty years later, I run into Brigadier General Tornow, and he looks at me. He goes, "Mr. Lewis, didn't I give you an A in my class?" And uh, so, you know, this, this great moment of integrity. I was like, "Is he testing me, or does he remember?" And <laughs> I said, "Well, sir, actually, you gave me a C." <laughs> And I was very grateful at the time. And he just laughed, you know. I said, I haven't built any bridges, but I did knock one down once, you know. (laughs) But uh, so, and then the kind of the cool thing is Major, my academic advisor, uh, he ends up being my class commander in F-16s. Oh, wow. So he's Lieutenant Colonel Polk when I I transitioned. And he... uh, and then uh, as two-star Polk, I, w- I worked for him in, at, uh, in PACAF. And so it, it, that's kind of a neat thing about the academy, you know, don't burn any bridges. <laughs> when you, yeah, no. Uh, you know, you, you'll go through your career and, and uh, you, you really do form some lasting bonds. And, well, and, and uh, you'll flunk mechanical engineering 490. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy won't give you the C. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great, Greg. Well, thanks, thanks for doing this, man. Well, I've, I've enjoyed it, and uh, I'm uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, I usually Kathy and I manage to get try and get out there a couple times and uh, for football games and things. So I'm this COVID gift that keeps on giving. I'm hoping we have some regular kind of season that we can get out there this year. But uh, I, I would just say that to all the young folks showing up, just hang in there. You'll have your you have some great times and you know you, you can't help but to get down a little bit sometimes but don't let it get to you it's well worth it and when yeah. you look back on it it's uh i do remember it was an eternity at the time but now it's kind of a, a small little blip you know depends on how much you think about it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so.